Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Joining me now as we break down all the market action. Happy Mountain Day, Ryan Huang. Happy Mountain Day. I wonder if we can have something like that back home. We've got Bukit Timah. Does that count? <laughs> Why not? Why not? All right. I am hip deep in earnings announcements this morning, so I will not be climbing any hills today. <laughs> the corporate reporting season continues to surprise and also shine a light on which sectors are successfully recovering from the pandemic. And I should add, which ones that seem to be struggling as well. This morning, we look at two sectors, property and hospitality and tourism. So, which one do you think is hot and which is not? Well, we're going to tell you. Think about it for a minute. I'm sure you guess property developers are hot. Well, I'm sorry to tell you that is not the case. City Developments and UOL Group are both reporting big drops in earnings. CDL's profits have plunged 94%. UOL's earnings are off more than 60%. Hobie Land's numbers, even worse. It lost $155 million during the first half of the year. So, Brian, why are property developers performing so poorly? Yeah, these are big boys in the property space and you might be scratching your head. What is going on? These are huge drops. And you mentioned CDL down 94%, UOL down over 60% in net profit. And some of the common threats here, they include the likes of the fair value on their portfolio when it comes to the properties. So it's a bit of a markdown, at least on paper. So that, for example, you've got UL citing significant lower attributable fair value gains on its investment properties of $3.5 million in the first half of the year. $3.5 million against $190 million mm. over the same period last year. Just to give an idea of how much of a difference it is. Uh, the other common threats that seem to be coming out of these property players is financing expenses. So with these interest rates staying elevated, that seems to have added to the pain for some of these property um, sector guys. So if you look at UL again, finance expenses rose 101% to $93.9 million. So you've got that factor weighing on some of these property players. And for CDL, it has an additional dynamic here, which is the absence of divestment gains, which it had quite a bit in the same period last year. So another uh, whammy on the front, at least. Lots of whammies. While UOL's profits dropped by nearly two-thirds, its hospitality business doing great. Revenue from UOL's hotel operations is up 66%, but that gain wasn't enough, though, to offset UOL's losses on the property development side. Now, two other companies in the hospitality sector are reporting earnings, Gunting Singapore and Banyan Tree. As you might expect, rising tourism numbers bode well for both of these companies. So, I guess, which one, Gunting or Banyan is doing better, Ryan. Yeah, they both did pretty decently. But if I had to choose, I would go with the one with a bigger number. And that is Gunting. So Gunting's net profit for the first half of this year came in more than three times what it made in the same period last year. So this year, first half, $276.7 million net profit. Okay, let's take a look at what we have for Banyan. Mm. First half this year, up 91%. Not too shabby to $981,000. So you can kind of tell hospitality is enjoying a bit of a bounce broadly. You can um, attribute it to tourist arrivals 
picking up, more people traveling, and also for Genting, more people going to RWS, going to the casino. So that is spilling over into the non-gaming revenue as well for Genting, where you've got an improvement 31% on quarter due to people going to the attractions as well, mm. and each customer spending more per, per customer. And this driven as well by some of their increased efforts into marketing and promotions. Well, Gunting also is a much bigger company than Banyan Tree and its profits are growing faster. But Banyan Tree's uh, share price is outperforming Gunting. Banyan Tree shares up 25% over the past quarter and 40% since the beginning of the year. Shares of Gunting, on the other hand, have been coming under selling pressure. They are down 16% over the past three months. I want to turn to China now, where Alibaba is reporting its best earnings performance in nearly three years. All of the company's main divisions are reporting earnings growth despite China's struggling economy. Overall, Alibaba's earnings jumped 14% in the second quarter of the year. So what is behind Alibaba's strong performance? How is it doing so well when China is not? Yeah, that's a very good question, right? So typically, you think of Alibaba, you think about e-commerce, you think about China, and all these Chinese shoppers. So it was bit of a bellwether for the Chinese economy and how much consumers in China are spending. And if Alibaba is doing well, you might expect China to do well to some extent. But of course, as you've outlined, it's not exactly the case. And one big reason is the context going to this. You've got in recent years, Alibaba trying to turn itself around and into the lead up to this quarter, it went through a couple of things. You had the China crackdown, you had cost cutting, you had layoffs. So it's been trying to get into shape mm. and it is paying off. So it looks like you've got earnings up 14%, at least revenues up 14% on the back of a better than expected performance from pretty much all of its main divisions. So the cost cutting and the restructuring is paying off. And according to Alibaba, uh, it is what they call showing promising early results of their reorganization, which is beginning to unleash what they call new energy across our businesses. See, exactly. And part of that unleashing of new energies and pivoting, so to speak, it's it's been working Alibaba to expand its overseas business. So there are definitely signs that this overseas approach is paying off. Revenue from Alibaba's international commerce division surged 60% during the second quarter of the year. One area, though, where Alibaba is struggling is in the field of a AI, artificial intelligence, it just can't keep up with demand. Why is that? Yeah, I suppose this would be the case for most Chinese companies because it's the same problem. Not enough AI chips. Mm. And that's because of the ongoing US-China tech dispute or trade dispute. So you've got in recent weeks and months, the US talking about restricting China's access to some of these advanced chips. And that, to some extent, has been impacting Alibaba because it can't get enough chips. And that is affecting its broader AI business. If you can't get the stuff to build it, you can't make the money from all these things. So this is coming through from one Alibaba executive, at least, saying that the global supply constraints are just um, causing a bit of a shortage of critical components needed for the AI business. And that is why the book Chip Wars by Chris Miller 
should be essential reading for you this year. It talks about that critical component, the world's most critical technology, those chips. Alibaba share price rose 4.6% in US trade overnight. They are up nearly 13% over the past quarter. It is 15 minutes past nine. Good morning. This is Your Money. He's Ryan Huang. I'm Michelle Martin. And I want to check in on broader markets right now. US stocks initially rallied overnight and signs that inflation in the US is cooling off appear to be showing, but stocks gave back more most of their gains by the time the market closed. The Dow, Nasdaq, S&P 500, they all finished marginally higher. All right, time to uh, open our books and we do it up or down style. That's when we look at corporate news through the lens of Ryan and my books. Mm. Okay, Capri Holdings, the company that owns Michael Kors and Versace brands. How are they doing? And Jimmy Choo. Ah. So they've got lots of luxury brands under the Capri Holdings umbrella. So I am going with up. Mm. So it's in the news because Tapestry, the parent company of Coach, is buying Capri Holdings. So this is going to be a deal valued at $8.5 billion. Honestly, when I saw this piece of news, I was scratching my head over the number. $8.5 billion does seem quite small for a big brand or a big name at least. So this, I realize, is because these um, US American luxury brands are a much smaller, at least relative to uh, size, against the European counterparts. If you just look at LVMH, right. they made revenue of $87 billion last year. If you look at what Coach plus Capri Holdings are expected to make annually, it'll be $12 billion. So it's a step by Capri Holdings and Tapestry to try to gain economies of scale. I suppose it's still an up but the um, broader context is all the brands under Capri Holdings have been seeing revenue decline. So they've got to do something. Yeah, Capri Holdings is benefiting from consolidation in the U.S. luxury goods segment by selling itself off to Tapestry, the company that owns Coach. And you're right, $8.5 billion U.S. dollars does seem a little surprisingly small if you compare it with the European market. Let's look at what that action did for its share prices. Capri shares surged on the news overnight, jumping more than 55%. That's definitely an up for Capri. The verdict is a little bit more unclear for Tapestry, the company that is making the acquisition. Tapestry shares fell nearly 16% on the news. All right, still on luxury, Ralph Lauren? All right, Ralph Lauren, um, this is going to be an up for me. It looks like people are still splashing on their expensive sweaters and shirts and outdoor clothing. So I am looking at the results coming in. A surprise rise in quarterly revenue. A bit of a mix back here. Mm. Um, the bright spot coming through from China. Offsetting the luxury spending in the US. So it looks like luxury goods are still hot even in China. Ralph Lauren's sales over there jumped more than 50% during the last quarter. Overall, Ralph Lauren netted $1.5 billion during the quarter. That's better than expected. Investors sold off Ralph Lauren shares overnight, though, as the company had issued some conservative guidance going forward. So I'm going to give Ralph Lauren... And up. Next, let's look at uh, a NASDAQ-listed Singaporean company I think few may have heard of. They're called Maxion Solar Technologies. Yeah, I am looking at this piece of news where it's making headway into the US, New Mexico in particular, Albuquerque. And this is big plans to build a major solar manufacturing plant 
So this is going to employ 1,800 people. And the CEO describes it as an ambitious and concrete response to the need to decarbonize the U.S. economy and create high-skilled jobs. So it's a sign that they could be you know, growing in that part of the world and just getting a slice of the action you know, with the U.S. infrastructure plans, greening plans, all that will come into play. I think few, uh, a lot of listeners may not yet have heard of Maxion, NASDAQ-listed Singaporean. The solar company has its headquarters in MBFC. It has an office in Kaki Bukit, but it's also planning a major solar power manufacturing plant, as you heard, in the U.S. Uh, state of New Mexico. And uh, Maxion has had a tough quarter. Its share price down nearly 40% over the past three months. But I think this could be a buying opportunity as Maxion expands production. So I'll give this an up. Finally, the Singapore-listed tech company, Nanofilm Technologies. Yeah, it doesn't look that great if you look at the numbers at least. Mm. So Nanofilms reported a loss of $7.6 million for the first half of this year. Mm-hmm. That swings into the red from a profit the same period last year oh. where it saw $18.8 million in profit. So it's a huge drop, um, partly with revenues plummeting over 34% to $73.2 million and looks like across the board driven by decreases in industrial equipment, nanofabrication, advanced materials, business units and I suppose it has a bit to do with the broader manufacturing and electronics sector slump that we've been seeing also being reflected in the broader economic numbers for Singapore. Uh, Yeah, nanofilm tech in the red a host of reasons there you've heard. It's also clearly suffering from lower sales and higher costs, so a down for the NTU spin-off. I want to check in on local markets now. The Straits Times Index tested support at the 3,300 level yesterday in the morning, and then it rallied in the afternoon to finish a quarter percent at 33.22, quarter percent up. Singapore Airlines and DFI retail were the best performers amongst the blue chips. Both stocks rose more than 2% yesterday. On the other end of the spectrum, city developments finished down nearly 2% on the back of those disappointing first half profit numbers. I want to return to a couple of stories that we talked about on the show yesterday as there have been some pretty interesting follow-up developments. First, you may recall we talked about Country Garden, China's beleaguered property developer. They missed payments recently on two offshore bonds. Up till now, we didn't know why. But the picture for Country Garden is a little clearer this morning. It may not be prettier, but it's clearer. The company warning it expects to post a loss for the first half of the year and a pretty big loss at that perhaps as much as 7.6 billion US dollars so why is country garden in such bad shape yeah it's usually the simple reason the most simple reason that is the right one they don't have money to pay up so that is where you've got country garden talking about expecting to post a net loss of between 6.2 to 7.6 billion dollars And this is for the first half of this year compared with earnings of 1.91 billion yuan last year. So you've got a big swing in fortunes. I imagine it will be for very similar reasons we've been seeing in the wider property market. Valuations are down. Sales, of course, have been down in the broader Chinese market. A lot of people are just not buying property right now. Mm -hmm. So that's got probably an impact on its books as well. The refinancing environment, also quite tough for Country Garden to try to roll over some of its loans. It will will probably have to um, cough up more when it comes to interest rates. So that 
plus the um, appetite for banks to even loan to Country Garden. You've got that challenge as well. So I think it's going to be a tough one. Country Garden share price now down 60% from the beginning of the year. Now the follow-up. Yesterday on this show, we also talked about Nova Nordis, the pharmaceutical company behind that popular weight loss drug, Wegovi, a drug that also reduces the risk of heart attacks and strokes. Well, Nova Nordis shares have been surging. And get this, the company now has market value that that's bigger than the economy of its home country, Denmark. So what do you make of that? Yeah, it's so amazing that Novo has grown so big, so much that the stock makes up 45% of the Copenhagen Stock Exchange Benchmark Index. So they had to change it to rebalance it to some extent. So that is how much it's grown and... Wow, talking about weight loss, it is growing big time. <laughs> a lot of people are just trying to oh, get a slice of action. Yeah, Nova Nordisk though has been facing supply chain issues because so many people are trying to get uh, their hands over Govi. So it can't manufacture enough of this very popular weight loss drug to meet demand. It may have found a solution to the issue though. It is spending one billion US dollars to buy another pharmaceutical company. They're called Inversago Pharma, uh, which also makes weight loss drugs. And this brings us to our last word of the day. It belongs to Steve Ells, the gentleman who created the very successful Chipotle fast food chain in the US. Before I tell you why he gets the last word of our day right here, recall yesterday we discussed how the success of weight loss drugs could end up hurting profits of soft drink makers or fast food companies, remember? And I joke, someone should come up with a healthier fast food chain. Well, guess what? I found one. Steve Ellis is behind it. He's raised more than $35 million for a startup company called Kernel that will sell plant-based dishes and also be run largely by robots. Apparently, each restaurant could operate with as few as three employees. Yeah, Ooh. I'm not sure about it. Plant-based foods, I thought that fed was over. People are asking questions about, is this really healthier? I know it's more um, ethical, but the healthy part about it is usually quite sodium-filled. So I'm not sure about that part. Yeah, you're right. With some of the patties, um, you know, you have to ask what the trade-off is. Are you getting a lot more salt? Is it really healthier? But, you know, when Kim Kardashian comes out a couple of days ago and said she's converted several of her members mm. of family to plant-based diets, including a dog, I think you get a sense a of dog. the vibe is still there. I suppose it's a good step that you're <laughs> making if you are eating more plants, I suppose. Why not? Ah, look at that. Well, he's got a good hit track record, right, Els? Chipotle has grown into a 50 billion US dollar business. I'm not counting out Colonel at all. Mm, I wouldn't mind trying it. You are a healthy eater. Else will open the first Colonel restaurant before the end of the year and he is considering licensing this automation technology to other restaurants. I'm not sure about this robot restaurant concept. Yeah, I think it's the way to go. Robots everywhere. So why not at a restaurant? I like the human touch there. Somebody take my order, please. Ryan Huang, thank you. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Michelle. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.